Welcome to Dairy Stream, brought to you by the Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative, sister organizations that fight for sensible dairy policy in Wisconsin and Washington, D.C. Dairy Stream focuses on issues affecting the dairy community and our customers. Hi, I'm your host, Mike Austin. Well, today's Dairy Stream has uh, certainly a topic that many of you might be familiar with, but one that we're going to try to change some maybe perception might have into what reality really is. And on today's Dairy Stream, we're going to first talk about understanding manure basics. But then I think a part of the conversation that you really will find interesting is some advice on how to better utilize manure. And with us today to help us with that is Dr. Jamie Patton. She's a soil scientist with the Nutrient and Pest Management Program at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. And uh, Dr. Patton, thank you very much for being with us. And Jamie, you do want to talk a little bit about, you know, a lot of people when they hear the word manure, they kind of turn up their noses. But, you know, it can be a real recipe for success, or as we also know, it can also cause some challenges for farmers. And I want to talk a little bit about some of the common words that we hear that are associated with manure and actually gives it kind of a bad reputation. You know, we want to address that, but we also want an explanation of maybe what are the benefits of these terms and what they really mean, but also some of the challenges. So let's start with these two terms, nitrates and nitrogens. From your perspective, what are they and what are some of the challenges? What are some of the benefits? Thank you, Mike. So manure, we know, has been used as a traditional nutrient source for millennia, right? This is a Mm -hmm. great way to cycle nutrients through an agricultural systems. We grow the crops, we feed them to the the animals, we utilize that manure to come back and grow more crops. So it's, it's part of a nice, tight cycle on a farming system. So when we look at manure, it contains many nutrients, right? So there's 18 essential nutrients for plant growth. Those animals are eating plants, so we have lots of nutrients in in that manure. And they can be extremely beneficial. So when we look at nitrogen, nitrogen is the nutrients that is needed most by crops. So needed in the largest amount by crops. And manure is rich in nitrogen. So part of it is organic and part of it is inorganic. And we'll get into that later on. But it's really important to think about nitrogen because it's so complex in its different forms. So organic nitrogen, so that's the stuff that's in the stuff, right, in the solids. It's not available to a plant. So we have to wait for microbes to break it down. And when the microbes do break it down, they make it plant available. It make it into ammonium, which is positively charged. And this is where we get into the soil chemistry. So Mike, keep your eyes from glazing over, right? Okay. So okay. we're going to get into a little chemistry. So when we look at nitrogen, there's ammonium, which is positively charged and is plant available. And there's nitrate, which is negatively charged and plant available. What we need to remember is our soils are dominantly negatively charged. And because of that, likes repel, right? So nitrate mm-hmm. with its negative charge and the soil with its negative charge, they don't hold on to each other. And so that nitrogen, even though it's beneficial for plants, it's uh, utilized by plants to promote growth. We have a hard time keeping it in our soil system because it's not attracted to those soils. And because of that, it has the potential to leach over time. So manure is a great nitrogen source for plants. Part of it is slow release, that organic part. Part of it is immediately available. That inorganic part the challenge is is managing it in our soils, which oftentimes are sandy, and in our environment where we oftentimes have heavy rainfalls at time, and that nitrogen will move out of that system because that nitrate isn't attracted to the soils. Interesting point there you made at the end. Not all soils are equal, and that really does have an impact as well, doesn't it? 
huge. So when we look at Wisconsin, it's extremely diverse in its soil resources. So we have really heavy clay soils in the valleys. We have, you know, the sandy soils in the central sand. We have the silt loams down in the southwestern portion. So nitrogen management looks very, very different across the state, not only because of those soil types, but also the climates vary dramatically across the state. So Nitrogen management is is complicated and almost has to be site specific based upon what the soils are in that field. Because even, you know, even within a single field, we may have sandy spots, which are going to be a more of a challenge for nitrogen management. Next term, and you were just talking about positive and negatives. I say phosphorus, you say negative, but you're saying (laughs) that's not the total story here. No, definitely not. So much like nitrogen, phosphorus is a macronutrient. It's needed in large amounts by those plants. So phosphorus, as long as we're keeping soil oftentimes in the field, we don't have issues with water quality. The issue with phosphorus and why we hear about it in the news is when that phosphorus moves out of the field and that's, it either moves on the soil particle or it may even move dissolved, lower amounts dissolved in that runoff water. But when that phosphorus reaches a surface water body, it causes the algae blooms. It causes that eutrophication that we hear about. So phosphorus is often associated with surface water qualities. So issues with with lakes, rivers, and streams. When we look at nitrogen, oftentimes we're thinking about it more as a groundwater concern. Yeah, you were talking about different types of soils, and a lot of people are familiar with the sandy soils, the red clay soils, but one that certainly has made a story over the last decade or so are the karst areas, the karst soils, and, you know, those permeable soils are sensitive areas. That's a whole different perspective, isn't it? It is. So when we think about, you know, what I'm going to be talking about a lot is trying to capture those nutrients before they get out of the rooting profile, right? So I want to capture them. I want to be, I want my nutrients to be utilized by my plants. So the problem with shallow soils and shallows over to bedrock is that I have such a small space in which to put roots and in order to capture that nutrient once it's supplied. So because of that, when we just don't have that buffer area before we hit an area where that nitrogen, primarily nitrogen, can end up in, in a groundwater system. So shallow, we have to manage those shallow soils a little bit differently than we do our deeper soils in the rest of the state. We're spending some time with Jamie Patton. She's a soil scientist with the Nutrient and Pest Management Program at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. And we're during this part of our podcast trying to explain a little bit, help you understand more the basics of manure. And you were talking about chemistry earlier. So I got my notepad. I got my pan. I'm all set here. So let's talk about nitrogen chemistry because that can be rather, another big word now, complex. So can you briefly describe what could happen to nitrogen in manure when it's applied to the soil? You betcha. And when I think about, so when we hear a lot about nitrogen being negative, I, I just don't, and people think it's a, it's a quick fix to this problem, mm-hmm. right? And it's not because nitrogen, the nitrogen cycle is so complex. And why I think it's so complex, and this is my opinion, is because there's these soil microbes involved. I think about them as like toddlers, you know, so soil microbes are going to do whatever they darn well please, whenever they darn well want to do it, right? You can't control that toddler. And when I think about soil microbes, they're very much the same. They're going to do what they want when they want to. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, it makes it really difficult to manage this nitrogen. So when we think about that manure, I just want people to understand the different potential pathways it could take. So I put that manure on the soil. So there's a potential pathway that that manure could, the nitrogen in that manure could volatilize, which means it turns to a gas and Mm -hmm. it goes right back up to the atmosphere. So I 
apply the nitrogen and boof, it's gone. There's the opportunity for that nitrogen then to go into the soil. And if the soil would become saturated, so for example, much of the time in the springtime here, if that soil becomes saturated, then those darn microbes again, they turn it into a gas and boof, it goes back to the atmosphere. Those microbes can use that nitrogen to make their own bodies, so make their own communities. And when they do that, then that nitrogen is no longer available to the plants. Uh, that nitrogen can become plant can become plant available and taken up by the plants. That nitrogen can be run off, right? It can move off with right. with with erosion and water, it can be leached out of the system. But oftentimes when we think about it, much of our nitrogen in that soil and even when we apply manure is in the organic form. And so that means it's locked up into those solids. And I'm sitting here as an agronomist waiting for that microbe to convert that nitrogen into a form that the plant can use. But I'm there's nothing I can do to encourage that microbe. It's all going to be based upon weather, right? Is the soil temperature warm enough? Mm -hmm. Is there enough moisture? So as an agronomist, as a person who wants to grow crops, I'm at the whim of these microbes. Are they going to turn my nitro nitrogen to a gas? Are they going to use it themselves? Are going they going to leave it in that organic form and now it's not available in my plants? What's going to happen to it? And this unpredictability within the nitrogen cycle is what makes nitrogen management so difficult and why we've been struggling for hundreds of years trying to figure out how to best manage nitrogen. It's just tough. It's complex. Yeah. Um, so hopefully that made it, that didn't dive too much into the chemistry, but the whole idea is it's almost unpredictable at times. And so we, we've done a lot of research to figure this out and we have some predictive models. We have some general understanding, but in all reality, weather, and our soil microbial communities are going to control that nitrogen flux in and out of the soil. No, I thought you did an excellent job of explaining that and making it simplistic for us, but also kind of making us realize that there are not a lot of things we can do, per se, to have those reactions occur. And that basically we're on the sidelines just hoping for the best. We're trying to predict. We're trying to predict when right. they happen, how much nitrogen we're going to get from it. And that sometimes our predictions are excellent and sometimes they're not. And it's when okay, they're not, that's, yeah. that's the problem. Yeah, I say, but one thing we still do is, you know, strive for more information. We're doing more research. So maybe you can tell us about, uh, you know, what kind of uh, research are we doing to assist a producer to better utilize their manure-driven nitrogens so they can grow those crops and yet also protect natural resources? Exactly. So when we think about some of these new, the technologies, so, you know, you and I are getting to the age where we don't think about computers being agronomists, but computers are starting to be agronomists, mm -hmm. right? They do, yeah. they do a much better job at us at, we're looking at modeling. So a lot of these microbial activities, when that nitrogen is going to be released is based upon soil temperature and moisture. So if we can use weather forecasts and we can use soil conditions and use infield soil monitors to be able to better predict if, when, and if that nitrogen nitrogen is coming out, we're going to be better able to, to predict when that nitrogen is available and if I actually need to apply a side address nitrogen application, use a synthetic fertilizer. We can use remote sensing technologies, right? So let's use the satellites. We know that nitrogen deficient plants look yellow, right? Because nitrogen is part of right. that chlorophyll yep. mo molecule. So can I use another set of eyes that aren't human to look at a plant and predict whether or not it needs more nitrogen? Because in all reality, I need to know what the nitrogen is at that stat at that point in time. And I can do that by 
and looking at the plant. Could I use things such as, and this is where we're getting better at our testing methods and being able to be, use predictive models with maybe a pre-side dress nitrate test. Look and see what's out there in the, in the growing season, what is available, and whether or not I need to supplement that. So looking at changing a system on how we think about nitrogen rather than putting it all up front right before the crop is grown let's maybe only put half let's put part of it up there and wisconsin does a great job of this of splitting out those nitrogen applications so that it's all of our nitrogen for that crop isn't out there at once we put a little bit in in early a little bit in a little bit later so that we spread out the risk of loss and we spread out the opportunity for the plant to take that up so there's so much research going on in nitrogen nitrogen and nitrogen management. Those are just two thinking about kind of using these AI technologies um, to help us manage this nutrient. And just a sidebar here, where are we on the timeline? I mean, is this still kind of in its infancy or are we in a situation now that we're maturing in using computers and these other technologies in getting some really concrete answers? They're out there. So they they are present. The issue is, is, so when we think about diversity, not only is it soil diversity, but it's also that climatic diversity. So because this is a microbial driven process, you know, how, daytime temperatures, nighttime temperatures, soil temperatures, moisture distribution. So when we look at these technologies, they're out there, but calibrating them for not only Wisconsin would be complex, but we're looking at across the entire Corn Belt. So this this gets really complicated really fast, but a lot of very smart people are working on it. And I hope within my, uh, before I retire, within the next 15, 20 years, um, this will be commonplace. Well, we're talking to a pretty smart person herself, and that is Dr. Jimmy Patton. She's so a scientist with the Nutrient and Pest Management Program at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. And we are going to take a break here on Dairy Stream. But before I do that, Jamie, just one more question. If you can get to some specifics, give me some examples of some type of practice that can be used by producers to keep nitrogen in the soil and obviously be available for that crop. You betcha. And so when we think about any nutrient management, we always go back to the old standard. I, you and I, Mike, have heard this how many times? It's the four R's. The right rate, the right time, the right place, the right source. And they were as true when they were developed, I don't know, decades ago as they are today. So thinking about looking at that right rate, matching how much nitrogen or phosphorus or matching all the nutrients that are going out to our crop need, the right time. And this is where when we look at a systems approach, and we'll talk about that after the break, where I get really excited is some of the new technologies and some of the new cropping systems that we're looking at to get that nitrogen out in season, right? So if I can get that manure to a growing crop, the likelihood that that nitrogen, those nutrients are going to be taken up by that plant are much greater than if that plant wasn't growing. So looking at that, that in-season application rate, looking at split applications, which are Wisconsin is, is really good at. I didn't, I'm not from Wisconsin, so I was so shocked and surprised and so <laughs> so amazed how much split application, right? We're putting some on in the beginning and we're putting some on in the season. If we're not doing that already, investigating um, whether that is appropriate for our system because that does improve um, nutrient uptake efficiency. And in some situations, we do have some chemicals that can help. So we've all heard about nitrification inhibitors. So something that actually inhibits microbial activity to stop that nitrogen from going from ammonium to conversion into that nitrate. So if I can keep nitrogen in a different form than nitrate for a longer period of time, there's less likelihood of loss. So going back old school, going back to the four yeah. R's is still a good way to think about managing nitrogen in our systems. 
Spend some time with Jamie Patton. She'll be back with us as we continue on Dairy Stream. And when we return, we'll talk a little bit about some advice and how to better utilize manure. You're listening to Dairy Stream. And we'll be right back with our Dairy Stream podcast after we hear from our sponsor. The Nature Conservancy is a global conservation organization dedicated to conserving the lands and waters on which all life depends. Guided by science, we create innovative, on-the-ground solutions to our world's toughest challenges so that nature and people can thrive together. In Wisconsin, we help farmers improve soil health and protect clean water while sustaining profitability. We also collaborate with communities, governments, businesses, and other nonprofits to protect Wisconsin's most outstanding natural areas, address climate changes and its impacts, and help make cities more sustainable. To learn more, visit nature.org backslash Wisconsin. Well, welcome back to Dairy Stream. It's brought to you by the Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative. I'm your host, Mike Austin, and our guest today is Dr. Jamie Patton, soil scientist with the Nutrient and Pest Management Program at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. We open up our podcast talking about a better understanding of manure basics. And hopefully after that part of the program, you understand a phrase that I've always shared, and that is the manure, the merrier, spread the word. And the person that is spreading the word is Jamie. And Jamie, let's talk now about some advice to better utilize manure. So first of all, you know, what kind of steps can farmers take to manage manure? I mean, we've talked a little bit about some of the research, but as of today, what kind of things can they do to manage manure? So when we look at it, we have some available tools out there um, and we're going back, we're going to go back old school. So I'm mm-hmm. a huge advocate of manure testing, knowing what's actually in our manure. So a lot of us will take book values, but we know depending upon what we feed, depending upon our animals, you know, the genetics, we're going to end up with different components in our manure. So different nutrient ratios. Um, so I'm a huge proponent of, new, of manure testing to really know what's out there and what we're applying to the ground. We may be overestimating, we may be underestimating. We we won't know unless we test. And how often do you, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but how often do you reckon, I mean, do you basically recommend someone do testing? I do. And so that, or the challenge with manure testing, oftentimes we need to have that agitated product. We need to have that as applied product. So oftentimes right. we're doing that manure sampling as we're applying. So this is where it's, it's, several years. So the one sample is good. We understand what went out there and we can back calculate how much we put on. But once we take several of these samples, we're better able to predict what our nutrient content of our herd is when we think about if we're staying consistent with our management. The challenge for the last couple years has been our excessive rainfall. So when we think about a lot of our manures, uh, so I'm up here in Northeast Wisconsin. So we've had tremendous rainfall this the last few years. When I think about my manure, it's so much more dilute with all of that rainwater in it than it has been in years past. So we were probably over crediting nutrients that were going into the field because we had way more water than we would have been expecting under a normal situation. So this manure testing over time, particularly in situations where something is a little anomalous, so these high rainfall events, my manure isn't what it usually is, it can be really beneficial in helping us track those nutrients over time. So huge proponent of manure testing. I'm a huge proponent 
of reducing water into the system wherever possible. So when I think about manures, if I can have a higher solid content manure, so that's going to concentrate my nutrients. It's going to reduce my transportation costs because I'm transporting less water. And then I'm better able to utilize those nutrients because the manure product is worth a little bit more and it's more cost effective for me to transport a little bit further. So I'm able to move that manure around to fields that where those nutrients can be best be utilized. And of course, I have to put in a plug for nutrient management plans, right? Mm -hmm. So this is what I do during the winter is help farmers sit down. We use soil tests, we use manure tests. And the the goal here is to pre-plan. So nothing in life is a guarantee. So we're all we're out here doing is trying to mitigate risk. So if I know how much manure I have produced, I know the fields where it can best be utilized. I can start to plan ahead for where those, where that manure can go at different times of the year. Plus I can have a plan B. And as a soil scientist, I'm always excited about a plan B because many times we get a wet fall, we get a wet spring, that, that field, if I go out there, it's going to be too compacted. So I can plan ahead with a nutrient management plan. If I can't get manure on field A, can I move it over to and utilize it just as effectively on field C? So it helps me do some pre-planning of where I can put my manure, where I can best utilize those nutrients, how I can limit the risk that I'm occurring because of weather events. Plus, it helps me identify areas that are sensitive, so wells, rivers and streams, and I can identify areas where I want to reduce or eliminate nutrient applications to protect environmental quality. So to me, the value of a nutrient management plan is, well, it's priceless, right? So, yeah, no, it um, really is. And I want to ask just a follow-up on that, that when we talk about it, I guess I took it for granted, interviewing and doing features of people that had nutrient management plans. Is that an area, though, where we're a little bit uh, shortcomings there that not as many producers we like to see do have nutrient management plans? They do. And so if we look at the DAT cap statistics, what we're saying is I think at right now we're looking about 36% of the of the cropland acres in Wisconsin are covered mm. with a, a submitted nutrient management plan. Oh, okay. I'm not saying they, they don't have a nutrient management okay. plan. It's just they weren't submitted to the county or the state and reported. So there's still room for improvement. Um, and I know a lot of people get a little anxious that it seems like a lot of work, but to me, it's, it's a valuable afternoon of time. So oftentimes with smaller farmers, it takes me an afternoon. We can sit down and many times what we do is we reallocate those nutrients. We end up with needing to purchase less synthetic fertilizer because we're, we're reallocating. Um, we're saving money. Plus we have this plan again. And to me, um, plan B is always a good option. So yeah. making sure I have that. This is an example of ROI, return on investment, yep. and it really exactly. is a very good return. We're glad that she's spending time with us. It's Jamie Patton, soil scientist with the Nutrient and Pest Management Program at the UW out of Madison. And we're talking about advice on how to better utilize manure during this aspect of our dairy stream. And let's talk about some new technologies that are coming available to either manage or help apply manure that really have a potential to have some big impact on water quality. What areas can you bring up there? Oh, I get so excited about these new technologies. So I did my graduate with with uh, swine effluent. So working with dairy manure is 
is amazing. It it <laughs> smells wonderful. I will take I will take dairy manure over swine manure any day. Both are valuable resources, but I get really excited about these dairy manure handling pro- technologies. So we're looking at a lot of these dewatering technologies. So what that basically taking this liquid manure and separating it into different manure streams. So I end up with something that's more solid like where I have much of my phosphorus so I can reallocate that to fields. I will end up with a liquid component, which oftentimes is has a much lower nutrient content, maybe contains a little more potassium. Mm-hmm. So I'm able to separate manures into different streams so that I can better utilize them um, and their efficiency of those manures on the landscape. So what dewatering technologies are really exciting to me. Some of these nutrient removal technologies for so some of those listeners who went to the Midwest Manure Summit, we have with the capability now to separate out phosphorus as struvite, um, so a phosphorus mineral um, from some of our our digested manures. We have the capability of concentrating sulfur, of concentrating some of our nitrogen. So if we can separate out these components, um, it'll help us better utilize this. Because the issue that when we look at managing manures is the nutrient ratio of N, P, and K is not Mm. the same as what the crop needs. And so there's a lot more phosphorus in the manure than than in a ratio as compared to what the crop needs. And so if I have to meet a phosphorus um, recommendation for crop need, then I'm under applying nitrogen. So it's it's not a it's this delicate balance on on how to get these nutrients out. So if I can separate this manure into different streams, I can better balance that to match crop needs. So another thing that gets me really excited is the in-season manure applicators. And so we're seeing some of these coming into the state. They may be low yep. disturbance manure applicators. Um, so I I'm able to apply to a growing forage crop or a growing crop, and I do very little soil disturbance. But some of the new technologies to get manure into side dress corn. That's some really cool stuff. It's kind of scary to watch a drag line going over corn. <laughs> yeah. it, well, let's be honest, it's very scary watching very a drag scary, line yes. <laughs> going over corn that has actually emerged. But the research has shown as long as we get in there early and the and the and the growing point is below the ground, we can apply manure to corn and we can drag if the soil conditions right, we can drag a line over the top of them and not do damage to that corn. And we see that yield benefit from that in-season manure application. So some of these technologies are really, really exciting. Your next question, I can contemplate this, Mike, is you're going to ask me about their really expensive technologies. Well, that's, I was going to bring up the economics. Boy, you could have done this show by yourself. I was going to say, I'm going to take a break and you just continue on. (laughs) So even though it's a podcast, I can see you. So I can see that look on your face and you're saying, Jamie, these are really expensive. they're it's not money, quite, money, 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 and they're for our smaller farms. These are not going to be accessible, and right. I think that's why I really get excited about some of these application technologies: the low disturbance manure applicators, the in-season manure applicators, because. Oh, and I forgot to talk about the on-the-go manure nutrient sensors. I said, I, okay, yeah. That is fantastic, right? So there's a, it's basically near-infrared, so we're sensing as the manure is going through the tube, we can tell what the nutrients are or estimate what the n- nutrients are in that manure and adjust application rates based upon the content of the manure at that point in time. But what's really cool about this and getting back to the cost is that we have some very progressive and very innovative and forward-thinking custom manure applicators. And and yes, so we're, 
we are seeing some of these technologies being adopted and purchased by our custom guys. They're providing the service to many of our farms, many of them smaller. So it's a way to get this very expensive technology out there into the hands of the masses because we're spreading that cost over many, many farms through that custom application. So that's why even though the, the processing technologies are, are really exciting, they aren't going to be as accessible to everyone where there's the potential for these application technologies to be accessible by many farms across the state. You are listening to Jamie Patton, soil scientist with the Nutrient and Pest Management Program at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. You can tell by her voice the enthusiasm she has. She also, I mean, she almost has me convinced that being an agronomist is an exciting field. So, wow, that's pretty good. <laughs> Most people think agronomists are kind of slow. Not, not Jamie. And again, thanks for the enthusiasm and the passion and the facts you've been sharing uh, during Dairy Stream. A couple of other quick questions. You brought up uh, money, and yeah, that is my on my mind. But what about the economics? of manure. I mean, how can farmers use it to increase profitability on their farm? I did some calculations this morning for us, Mike. So oh, I actually okay. got I got out the calculator because <laughs> for those of us for those of us who are looking at purchasing fertilizers this spring, we know because of the short supply and there's many reasons um, yeah. that supply is short this spring. But nutrients are very very valuable um, this spring. So I went back to our book value manure. So if we look at a dairy liquid in a twenty eight oh nine publication where which we use to its nutrient management for right. crop, field crops, a, a dairy liquid contains about seven pounds of nitrogen, three pounds of P2O5, and 11 pounds of K2O. This morning, I rough estimated them to be worth about 50 cents per pound for nitrogen and 45 cents per pound for the P and K. So we're looking we're looking at about $10 worth of nutrients in every thousand gallons of manure. So when we think about having, we don't, we just don't have a thousand gallons, we million gallons or plus mm-hmm. than that. We're looking at large dollars of money here. So I also went back and calculated how many nutrients a dairy cow produces, a lactating dairy cow produces in the year. So if we think about it, uh, if my calculations are correct, we're looking at a dairy cow producing around two hundred and twenty dollars worth of nutrient every year in its manure stream. So on a 500 cow dairy, we're looking just at the lactating cows, we're looking at $110,000 worth of nutrient. We're talking, we're talking dollars. Yes, we are. uh, We're almost talking real money now. We're we're talking real money now. (laughs) Wow, no, and seriously, that is a lot of savings. It is. And so if we can utilize those better so that we not only capitalize and get a return ROI, ROI on those Very good. Plus, if I don't, I can utilize them so I can reduce my synthetic fertilizer costs so I can, you know, mm-hmm. ROI on my on my on-farm nutrients plus reduce my input costs. We're talking some pretty good dollars and cents here. This is the big thing. We've talked about animal manures for so right. long. When I went to school, we talked about them as animal wastes. Correct. So, and that just isn't the right term. This is a valuable product, not only for nutrient content, but we could do a whole nother podcast. You know me, Mike. We <laughs> yes. could get so excited about talking about soil health. And I'm we haven't even talked about the value of that organic matter in that manure and how it benefits not only our soil biological, but chemical and physical properties, what it does for our over, overall soil health system. We're just concentrating on NP and K. So this right. is a valuable, valuable product, and we need to treat it as such. Well, Jamie, I want to thank you for turning around that term from manure waste to, boy, we're wasting the value of manure. So you've educated us well on that. 
Thanks again for being on hand. I have one final question before we wrap up our dairy stream for today, and that is kind of an advice question. I mean, what do you, what kind of advice are you giving for manure spreading in both the spring and the fall period times? It definitely is. And so we've talked about a lot of those those in-season manure applications, testing manure, soil testing, nutrient management plan. But let's just get down to two key points at this point in time. As a soil scientist, I want farmers to evaluate their soil conditions. So usually I'm waving my arms about soil compaction. We have had soil compaction, soil compaction, soil compaction with all these wet springs and falls. So we need to make sure that our fields are ready for application. So don't go when the soils are wet. Don't create even more compaction problems um, than we already have. So let's, let's apply to fields that are ready and when they are ready. And last but not least, when we think about a managing manure for environmental quality, we know not to apply when rainfall and runoff is forecasted. So there is an excellent tool, and I'm sure we can put the, if you haven't seen it already, the runoff risk advisory forecast. So takes a look at the the, uh, the upcoming forecast, how saturated our soils are, and does a, another prediction model, going back to that AI, right? Help right. Letting, computer, letting our computers help beep, us beep, manage beep, this nutrient. <laughs> Sorry, that's I my did, computer imitation, uh, yes. Oh, yeah. I didn't hear that when I went on the runoff risk. Oh, I, I, I must need to turn up the sound this when that's I go back. That's the problem. Turn the audio okay. up. <laughs> But that's an excellent tool from the Wisconsin Manure Management Advisory System, and it helps us um, identify those days in which we can apply manure where we can mitigate runoff risk. So lots of lots of tools out there. It's just figuring out how to how to utilize them all. So is the challenge. Well, you've done an outstanding job. Again, you've made manure fun and very informative. And thank you for our good education today and uh, just a lot of good information to share and to hopefully uh, benefit everyone out there. Again, it's been a pleasure sharing some time with Dr. Jamie Patton, soil scientist with the Nutrient and Pest Management Program at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. We thank you as well. Of course, a big thank you goes out to uh, Joanna Guza for producing and editing today's program. She always does an excellent job. But also I want to thank those of you that listen to today's edition of uh, Dairy Stream because by listening and investing more of your time into information like today, I think we're all doing a better job of creating a more sustainable dairy industry. I'm Mike Austin. Till we meet again, thanks for listening to Dairy Stream. The Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative would like to thank you for listening to Dairy Stream. If you enjoyed listening to our podcast, please subscribe and rate Dairy Stream. We value your feedback. And if there's something you'd like to hear, just email us, podcast at dairyforward.com.